Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thanks. Thank you. You guys are too kind. Too kind. Um, before I get started, um, I just wanted to share, I, uh, just this past weekend I got to spend some time at uh, Gloria Zion in Texas with uh, Chuck Pierce and, and his group of people. Got to be at his um, International School of the Prophets and teach there. It was super, super fun, a real honor. It's, it's so much fun. It's, we're coming into this season where these different, different groups in the body of Christ are just starting to cross and, and connect and just share with each other. And it was, it was this beautiful experience. I'd, I'd been there one time before, and it's this just beautiful experience of visiting a family that's like, oh, these are, these are my cousins. These are my uncles. These are... This is family. Like we may look different, we may do things a little bit different, but I can feel the, the the sense of family. And so it was so much fun to get to spend time with them. They were very, very sweet to me, and um, yeah, it was super fun. And uh, yeah, I just got back this morning. Uh, got on a plane at four thirty. So uh, oof, there will be very, very little filter tonight. So <laughs> look forward to that. Um, I have a very, very simple goal tonight. My goal is to read you eight verses out of the Bible. My favorite eight verses. And I'm going to spend the next 30 or so minutes um, attempting to get your, uh, massage your mind very gently um, into... (laughs) That made it worse, didn't it? Um, <laughs> into a place where you can receive this in a fresh and new way. Because this has been my favorite eight verses in the Bible for a long time. But it is a set of verses that I almost felt guilty for being my favorite. Because, like, this is too obvious. This is too cheesy. This is too, too you know, of course there's your favorite one, you know, kind of thing. It's like, it's like when someone asks you, like, oh, if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Jesus. It's like... Well, besides Jesus, you know, because you're supposed to say Jesus. But, um, you know, it's a a good answer. But um, the, uh, I feel that there is an opportunity in this season to receive these eight verses in a fresh way. And so we're going to, we're going to go there. And to do that, I want to talk a little bit about philosophy. Um, Philosophy in the, the sense of a mode of thinking, a set of beliefs, a set of understandings through which we filter our experiences, through which we filter other people, through which we filter life. And uh, you may have noticed these uh, very high-quality uh, presentation devices I have behind me. Um, for those of you on the podcast, it is a, uh, about maybe a high school or third-grade level uh, cardboard situation going over here. And... I want to talk about a couple different mindsets. Now, um, there's a lot of different names for these mindsets. I just kind of picked one, and I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about what these are so that we can understand what we're getting at. (laughs) Uh, 
right, so the first mindset that I'd like to talk about is... Have a nice little Vanna White there moment for a second. That was... Law. So this is a mindset where we need to follow the rules better. This is, some of us would call this a religious mindset or a performance mindset. There's a lot of different versions of this, but it basically comes down to we have to do something. We have to follow these rules just right. Some of the more positive versions of this are we need to follow every single letter of this book. We need to follow every single letter uh, that is written down here to the T. We need to always be striving to get better, to move towards perfection. Again, perfectionism is maybe another way that we would describe this mindset. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Or are you just thinking about what's on the next one and trying to figure out what that is? So this is a slightly maybe a non-traditional language for, for this concept, but it's the, um, it's the language that's most prevalent in my mind right now. Much harder to fit onto the poster. <laughs> uh, that was Lauren Brownlee, not me. <laughs> if I had written that, you, none of you would have, I would have to tell you what it said. <laughs> Hence, um, undermining the point of my little exercise here. <laughs> so I, um, I just wanted to, <laughs> yes, Lauren, to be very clear, I want credit where credit's due, of course, for this thing that was done 20 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> not at all hastily. Um, so most people, not everyone, but most people view these two concepts as things that are in tension with one another, maybe even a spectrum of beliefs. Acceptance to me, that is this, we call, you know, maybe unconditional acceptance. We just want to accept people. We want to love everyone. We want to show God's love to everyone. You know, good, good, true things like that. We want to, we don't want to make anyone feel unwanted. We don't want to make anyone feel, let me move this microphone so that you don't feel unwanted by not being able to see this poster over here. You know, it is this mindset where we lean on truths like, oh, God loves us no matter what. There's nothing that we could do that would ever separate ourselves from him, that Jesus has closed the gap, that Jesus has covered all of our sin. True things, right? Some of you are nervous up as to whether. <laughs> I will try to avoid trick questions, just so you know. Um, but I might do one by accident. I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we are in an age where this, this concept is the more favored concept. Do you agree with that? And I think that many of us maybe grew up in this concept, this, this law concept, this you have to follow the rules, the, you know, some of the results of this where you're, you're bad, you're, there's something wrong with you, there's something that's unfixable, and the only way to fix it is to suffer for Jesus for your entire life and then die. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, just maybe, in that time, you will find yourself being used by God and be useful to him. And then you will die. <laughs> Anyone relate to that a little bit? <laughs> and 
You know, in this one, we like to talk, maybe, maybe some, of this might, some people might define this as a freedom culture, as a culture where, oh, we can come and we can worship any way that we want. We can come and we can just be ourselves. You know, oh, I want to accept you for who you are, things like that, yeah? Yes? You guys are nervous. This is <laughs> you feel like you're going to be wrong. You're still stuck in this mindset over here. You're worried you're going to make a mistake. You're worried that I'm going to be upset if you make a mistake or maybe the person next to you. What I want to, I just want to talk about how these mindsets work in our lives, how they work in our day-to-day lives. Now, most of us, I don't think, are on the extreme spectrum of either of these things. I think that elements of these can work their way in, in different layers in different ways. You know, we can, and in what is ostensibly a freedom culture where we're worshiping, when we're worshiping any way that we want, we can get into a mindset where all of a sudden, well, you know, if worship isn't an hour long, then it's, then it's not really anointed. It's not really free worship. You know, it takes me 20 minutes to get into the worship anyway. So, you know, I, um, I need, sorry, I'm, I'm, we're going to be pokey today. Um, and, you know, oh, it's not free if it's not extra long worship or it's not free if this or that, which is funny because it's a, it's an acceptance, it's a law mindset with an acceptance hat on. And sometimes I have run into places where there is an acceptance mindset with a law hat on, where we have these boundaries and rules and, and you know, limits and healthy limits and things like that, but then we're always making exceptions to those. We're always undermining those, and we have these rules that are present that are, just don't really mean anything. That's where you have like a fake culture. This happened a lot in the... Um, in the early 1800s and also in the Roman era where both of those cultures were ones where morality was really valued compared to other cultures at the time. But so many of our TV shows now are about how sordid those cultures actually were in, in the background. It was a place that was trying to be one way but was actually another. Does that make sense? So first I want to talk about myself and about how I... Why is that funny? <laughs> I'm about to go into a tender subject, so please give me, give me a little break. And your laughter makes me feel even more comfortable. Um, I, I want to just take one snapshot out of my life where I walked between these two experiences. And I want to share with you how I discovered, believe it or not, that both of these end in loneliness, death, and destruction. And I'll show you why. <laughs> so I, I shared a few weeks ago, just a little bit, just kind of as a, almost as an aside in one message, that I dealt with a lot of social anxiety when I was younger. And uh, we don't have time to go into why exactly. Some of it was because I had been born with a prophetic gift that I didn't know how to use. And so it made me feel disconnected from other people. Some of it was uh, experiences I had in different countries where I remember I, I lived in one country and people loved me for no reason. They loved me because I was f- from America and they were interested in me, wanted to be my friend, wanted to talk to me. And then we moved to a different country where people disliked me for, because of where I was from, where they were mean to me, where, they, um, where teachers would get me in trouble even though I hadn't done anything and things like that. And so that, that experience at a young age made me feel a bit shut down, made me feel like I 
didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to, you know, walk in one direction too far, start connecting with people in a way, and then have that undermined, you know? Um, and that manifested a lot of different ways. I shared some, you know, they're, they're humorous now stories from when I was a teenager. I remember, you know, I was going to go to this electronic store to get something, and I wanted to see if they had it. And I remember this would happen all the time. I would call, and I hung up on the, as soon as the person would answer, I would hang up because I was too scared to talk to them. And I would do that six times in a row. It's okay, you can laugh. It's kind of funny. but <laughs> Well, not that funny, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm giving you whiplash. Um, and so six times in a row, I would try to call, try to call, try to call, not do that. I remember this one time I was at a gas station, and my, um, I had forgotten my uh, debit card, and so I only had uh, cash on me. And I remember sitting there for about 10 minutes, stressing so painfully because I was scared to go in and talk to the teller and pay for my gas with cash. For the first time, I considered perhaps stealing gasoline just so that I could... <laughs> not have to talk to this person. <laughs> and, it, uh, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now, I, you know, I, I wasn't a complete shut-in or anything. I had friends, I, I, but it always took me a while to get comfortable with people. It always took me a while to get comfortable in an environment. I, um, if I would be out in public with a group of people I didn't know, I probably wouldn't say a word for sometimes for days at a time. I remember, I remember one time I went on a trip with my youth group it was a new youth group, and it was the first trip that I went on with them. I didn't really know anybody very well, and I was, it was a weekend trip. And I remember at the I counted, and I said six words over the course of the entire weekend just because I was just scared to talk to people. Um, now, I'll take you to a um, later part where it got the worst that it ever got. Um, I graduated high school young. I graduated when I was 16 or 17, I don't remember. Um, I was homeschooled, and you can just kind of do that when you're homeschooled. Um, <laughs> it's probably legal. Um, and so I waited for a year, and then I went to college, and uh, my, the person who was kind of helping me through my plan was, because I had been homeschooled, he had said, you know, you should go to a community college um, first, get a few credits there, get, you know, get some stuff on record because you were homeschooled, and that's super sketchy. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I love homeschool, but um, that's why I like to make fun of it. Um, and, uh, you know, this will get some credits, and then you can transfer it to whatever school or whatever university you want. And I was a pretty sharp kid, so I knew I could get decent grades and, you know, be able to kind of move from there. And I remember my first day going to the orientation at the school, shaking as I was looking for a parking spot, and shaking as I was looking around, and... I walked up, and it took me, I, I got so nervous that it took me, I got there 30 minutes early, but I was 10 minutes late going into the orientation room because I was so nervous, I just couldn't, I couldn't see the signs correctly. Like, my eyes were vibrating. I was feeling so nervous. Um, some people laughed at that one. That's funny. Um, and I, so I went there, and I got my classes and went to my first few classes, and every single time I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't pay attention because I felt so much anxiety I felt so scared to ask a question. I felt so scared to clarify things. I felt so scared to um, bring anything up. And I, I didn't understand what I was feeling. I just couldn't, I, I would just freeze up. I would just seize up. And about halfway through that semester, I got, it got so bad that one day I parked my car at the, at the school parking lot and just sat there and I couldn't get myself to get out of the car. Couldn't get myself to 
step out just because I was just feeling this anxiety so much in me. Now, I was having this battle where I was bouncing back and forth between some of these realms of thinking. When I was over here in, in La Land, I was feeling, just, just buck up and do it. Just pull it together. Come on, what are you scared of? You're not actually scared of all these people. Why are you feeling this way? You shouldn't feel this way, so you should stop feeling this way. Usually not a helpful way to get rid of fear, just so you know. And then I would zip over here to, you know, why do they have to make college this way? Why do they have to make all these weird rules? Why do they have to, why do they have to make all of these systems that you have to figure out and you have to ask all these questions and you have to figure out all these details? Why do they make it this way? And that's when I move over here to why can't they just accept me for who I am? Why can't I, why, don't, why doesn't the system accommodate the, what I need right now? I remember ping-ponging through these mindsets. And as I went from... Oh, you should fix this, you should fix this, to it's their problem. I stopped going to class. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of mms around. And I, um, I, still, I had the homework sent to me af afterwards, and I did great in all those classes because I can read pretty well. And so I just read all the books and did all the tests and did fine in all the classes without going. Um, so then another semester came around and I transferred to a different school and a, a friend of mine was actually one of the teachers there and I thought, okay, this is going to be better. This is going to be different. This is a different school. The one was a large community college, really, really big. And I thought maybe it was just so big maybe that it overwhelmed me. And so we went to this other one. It was a smaller one. I knew one of the professors there. So I went there, and the very first day that I went there, I couldn't walk in the door. I had that same experience where I couldn't find my class, I couldn't find my class, I'd gotten there 30 minutes late, and it was 10 minutes, 15 minutes, uh, excuse me, I'd gotten there 30 minutes early, and I, but I, by, the, as I, by the time I found my room, I was 15 minutes late, and I couldn't walk in because I felt so scared, like, I'm doing this again, I'm late again, I'm, and the, the added effort of I'm walking late for the first time into this class just petrified me, and so I didn't go. So for weeks, I drove all the way to the school and stopped at the parking lot and couldn't make it in. Now, when you don't show up at all for a class and never showed up in the first place, they tend to drop you out of that class, just so you know. Um... And so that dropped off, and the, the, the worst part of it was that uh, my parents asked me how things were going, and I, I lied to them. I told them that I was going. I told them it was fine. I tried to minimize my lying by being as vague as possible, because that's better, maybe. <laughs> and this went on for several weeks until a, a situation, I don't remember the exact circumstances, honestly. Um, maybe my mom and dad do, but... Um, it, there was a situation where there was a question about, like, where were you for this? And the, and the guy knew that I was a teacher there, so it came up. My parents asked me a question, and I just broke down crying and then shared everything that had happened. And my parents are amazing, fantastic, uh, very accepting people. And so they said, take a break. Take a break. And I was working at the church doing a part-time job, and so I just did that and just kind of tried to figure things out. It was... 18 years old at the time. And so again, even as I was processing this experience, I was bouncing back and forth to 
Blake, you should just get over this. You should just get over this fear. This is, fix something. There's something wrong with you. You just need to get over it. Why is this bothering you? Why are you weak? Why are you cowardly? Whatever it is. And then I would go into, this system is messed up. They make this all confusing. They make this big, imposing, and scary. They may require you to do these kinds of classes and these different kinds of things to get a degree, to get into a job and things like that. Why is it that way? Why doesn't the system accommodate me? Neither of these thought processes were helpful. Both of these thought processes brought torment and fear to me more. To make a long story short, I took a break for a year. During that time, the Holy Spirit told me to go to the School of Ministry in Northern California. I said no for a whole year. Won that argument for one year. And then after that year, he came to me again and said, I really want you to go to that school. And I went. And I went up there with my sister, uh, Bree. She went to the school as well. And I went up there, went to my first day of class, and I could feel that feeling come up again. And you know, it was a little bit easier this time because it was a church environment, which was, I was more accustomed to that. You know, And some of my friends had already gone to the school, so I had a little bit of smoothness there. But I... When I got up there, I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to end up locked in a closet somewhere, which seemed like a decent compromise in my mind. But um, I knew that that was not the right thing. I knew that that was against the law, to be locked up into a closet by yourself forever. (laughs) I don't know what law, but there's a law somewhere where you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) Because you're not saving enough people or something, probably. As I went through school of ministry there, I hardly said a word for the first half of the school year. I hardly said a single thing. I did the minimum amount of the activations. I, nine times out of ten when they had us get up and prophesy over someone next to us or did an activation, I grabbed my sister Bree who was sitting next to me and said, we can just you and me do this because I don't want to talk to these other people. And... Eventually, the leaders there caught onto that and split us up. So that was that. Was that. <laughs> um, and, you know, what, what broke that experience, what broke that experience of anxiety every single day, any time I was not in a place that I was super, super, super comfortable with, was not... The law was not the reality that I need to get over that, even though that's true. Was not the reality that this, this is not okay for this to be in my life. Even though that was true, that was not what set me free. And it was not the staff and my friends at Bethel accepting me for who I was that solved this problem. Even though I am a more introverted person by nature, even though I do need my quiet time, even though it does take me still to this day an amount of time to get comfortable talking to someone who, who I've never met before. My roommates and my friends and my leaders at the school were very kind to me and very welcoming, welcoming to me, but they did not accept that this was a part of my life that this was a design, a heavenly designed part of my life. So every single one of those people, my roommates, my close friends, and my leaders at the school, pushed on that thing over and over and over again. Not forcing, not, not lawing me into you have to do this or it's your duty or you have this amazing prophetic gift and you have to share it and you can't share it in the closet. Although nowadays you can with streaming and all that kind of stuff. So this, 
My plan would have worked perfectly. <laughs> um, that's beside the point, though. Um, that's, that's beside the point. Because a philosophy that's built around the law and a f that un unconditional law and a philosophy that's built around unconditional acceptance will always sow death. <laughs> because these are fragments of the true standard that we're called to, which is a standard of unconditional love. The music agrees. Right now in our society, we think that acceptance and love are the same thing. And they're not. Acceptance is a small piece in the kaleidoscope of what love is. Love makes room for truth. Love requires everything from you. If anyone in here has ever been married before, love has numerous requirements. <laughs> you know, if I just say, April, my dear wife, I'm just a messy person. That is just who I am. It goes with my cute, uh, absent-minded absent professor personality. I just leave things around. Isn't it charming? <laughs> and April, as my wife, as my partner in love, has every right to say, I feel deeply unloved when you leave a trail of mess behind you in our house. That, I know that's a silly thing, but it matters to April. And if I love her, I will allow it to matter to me. Does that make sense? Love has tremendous requirements. <laughs> tremendous, not conditions, requirements. <laughs> there is a huge difference God loves us unconditionally, and he calls us to unconditionally love one another. But a lack of con it, there is no condition on whether I love you or not. But love in and of itself requires the best out of you. It calls the best out of you. It asks for the best out of you. It does not accept you for who you are. It accepts you for who God designed you to be. And I want to tell you something. Young people, where are the young people at? If you're a young person, put your hands up. <laughs> We're having an identity conversation right now. This is happening. <laughs> young Young people, this is the stronghold of our age. And it cannot be defeated by this. Old people. <laughs> Where are my old people at? <laughs> I'll raise my hand for that one. 
Wave your hands. <laughs> Young and old are not a number. <laughs> it's a belief. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And we are, in my opinion, all called to be both. It's in the Bible, actually, if you want to look it up. Um, thank you, Mom. <laughs> Old people. You cannot defeat this with this, and you cannot defeat this with that. If you come at a culture of unconditional acceptance, because what does unconditional acceptance bring? It, it's, it's hard because it has this warm and fuzzy side to it. Where it's like, oh, we're all here together. We all just accept each other for who we are. But the danger is this, that I am, as a friend, am not allowed to require anything of you. And when I do, that is you not accepting me, or we put the word, that's you not loving me. And if love cannot require something of the person that it's next to, that is a breach in intimacy. And that will create distance. <laughs> it's a trap. It is a trap that tricks us into thinking that it's freedom. <laughs> love has acceptance in it. But it is so much bigger, so much more beautiful, and so much more powerful than just being accepted ever could be. And I, for one, refuse to accept a fragment of what love is when I can receive the whole thing, when I could, when I could receive every single bit of it. Now, I want to draw one more thing that's important, and this is, this is a revelation I'm still exploring, I'm still discovering, but it's ringing truer and truer in my soul. There is a lie that love is some kind of tension between these two things. That it's, well, you know, if you just get enough of the rules, just a certain amount of the rules, you know, and then you kind of hang on to the, you know, like, there we go, okay, and you can fit some of this in here, you know. We accept everyone, but you gotta do stuff, you know. No. <laughs> Those two are enemies by design but they are both your enemy. I read this um, children's book a while ago uh, when, I was, when I was younger, and um, it, it had this very interesting plot in it. I'm going to spoil it if you run into it. But um, the bad guy was this big, bad magic dude or something, you know, and there was these, these bad magic dudes, and they had this one word that could, if you said this word, it would just you know, it would just destroy them. And so the, the whole book is about how the quest to find that word and learn all the pieces of the word and it's hidden everywhere. And they go to all these adventure places and fight stuff, you know, and to find the fragments of the word that are hidden across the land. And at the end of the book, they get into the presence of this big bag dude. They have done this amazing quest and fought hard and went to these dangerous swamps and deserts and, you know, Batman's house and whatever. And then... That's the part that I made up in my head. Um, and they get in the presence of this guy, and they say this word of power that's going to destroy him, and he laughs. Because that entire thing was a trick that he laid out 
to get the people that were trying to fight him to waste their time. And that moment struck me in that book because I see in a lot of places where the enemy has tricked us into crusading to fight a battle that will not win us the victory that we're seeking. And to come against people and to come against even belief systems and to fight, 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 fight for things that are not leading to the victory that you think they are. Acceptance is good. The law is good. Jesus said he did not come to, to overturn, to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to show you, here is one fragment of my intention, but let me show you the entirety of my intention. That is why he raised the standard from, you know, that, that moment where he says, you know, you've heard it said that you should not kill another person. Well, I say that even if you have hate in your heart towards someone, it is the same. You should not commit adultery with someone else. Why well, say that if you even have lust in your heart for another man's wife, then you have already committed it in your heart. That is not him making the rules more strict. That is him pointing to his intention. That these rules are not meant to control you. They are meant to sh give you a snapshot of what you are going to transform into. In unconditional acceptance, we do not have room for people to tell us that we're making a mistake. If someone tells us that something we did isn't good, if our idea isn't good, that is an attack against our identity. <laughs> and if you don't accept this identity that I've decided is mine, whatever it is, even, even identities that are innocuous, like I'm an artist, I'm a, I'm a musician, identities that are, there's nothing evil about them. Except that if that is an identity that is more important to you than your identity in Christ, then it is a noose around your neck. If there is any identity, I'm going to be stretching here so you can hit me later. If there is any identity, even the ones that you are born with, that is more important than your identity in Christ, then it is an idol in your life. <laughs> Part of our relationship with Jesus is submitting ourselves to him and trusting him to teach us who we are. And if we have a view of unconditional acceptance, then even Jesus cannot correct us because it will feel like it's not love. And if we're in a culture that reinforces unconditional acceptance, we will bring, we will hear things that are corrective and push those away as the enemy because we think that, well, Jesus only says loving things. And loving things always agree with what I think. <laughs> if we're committed to maturity and growth, we need to be able to hear that we are doing something badly without it harming our identity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, 
We need to be able to hear that we have made a terrible mistake, that we have made bad choices, that we believe untrue things about ourselves and others, that we are treating others in a way that is painful. Whatever it is, we need to be able to hear that and realize that doing us being incredibly stupid does not harm our identity because it never was about what we did. It's just a performance mentality with a hat on. It's just a, it's a performance mentality that's found this comfortable little land it can hide in because it's all covered in pillows and, you know, they serve pancakes every morning and it's just this, you know, fluffy place. We need to be able to hear very severe feedback about what we may believe and what we're doing and what we've done and recognize that it doesn't affect our identity. I'll, I'll wrap up with this. I, every, I, I love writing. I've loved writing since I was really young. And every, um, almost every great writer that I read their, their books about, about writing or about their life, almost every single one of them had a teacher or a mentor or a person in their life who looked at their work and said, this is terrible, you're never going to be a writer. Now, that's freaking out the acceptance people right now. That's like, hey, this, this, your crayon drawings are beautiful and everything is special and it's powerful. And, uh, and it's just powerful. It's powerful, you know. I don't know what any of what you wrote means, but it's powerful, you know. Um, now, all of those people that I was reading about that point in their life are my heroes in the world of the written word. <laughs> Not this written word, just writing words down. Um, <laughs> clarity. <laughs> they are heroes in literature to me. So much so that I'm seeking out books about their life to better understand how I can receive the gift that is on their life. And they receive the feedback that you are tel- terrible at this and you may never be good at this. <laughs> Our true identity cannot be harmed by the harshest of feedback. (laughs) It can create fear. It can create pain. It can create a process. And I'm not saying the goal is for us to be super harsh with everyone. (laughs) But I'm saying if we go too far in the other direction, we've we've created an environment where it is almost impossible to grow into who we're called to be. Where we will experience confusion, a lack of direction, and great, great loneliness and pain. And we will not know why, but it will be because we have created an environment that pushes everyone at arm's length. (laughs) Because the second you get too close, you start needing things from me that are different than who I think I am. (laughs) Does that make sense? So what's the solution to this? Because... Because if it's not, well, where is love then? Is it somewhere on this spectrum? Is it somewhere on this line? No, it is not. Throw out that idea completely in the gutter. You know, the the water that you need to be alive, to drink, that most of your body is made up of, it's uh, made out of hydrogen and uh, two oxygen molecules kind of hooked together. It's great. It's good for you. We can drink lots and lots of water. It's just good advice. You snap off 
those two oxygen molecules and you have hydrogen, which is super explosive, which catches on fire and goes kaboom. You have pure oxygen, which will kill you really quickly if you breathe pure oxygen in. Our atmosphere is, I don't remember the percentage, but it's relatively low percent of oxygen in our air. It's mostly nitrogen. Um, pure oxygen is a poison to us. It overwhelms our system. Pieces of God's plan for love alone can be poison if they are not built within the context of his intention for the whole picture of his plan for love for us. So what do we do? Because what oxygen by itself and hydrogen by itself doesn't really look and act very much like water does. So love in many ways, there are elements of these two things in love, but they do not but it is a whole and complete and different thing and a greater and more superior thing than either of those alone. And I am in myself working on and developing and figuring out tools to grow that in myself. But I believe that the first step is I need to exercise my ability to hear his voice clearly not filtered through my expectations, not filtered through what I think my identity is, but exercise my ability to move closer and closer to Jesus and keep moving closer even if all of a sudden he starts requiring things of me. <laughs> and so to, to end tonight, I um, just wanna take just a couple of minutes I'm going to invite some of our uh, worship crew to come on up. And um, I'm going to read those eight verses that I promised to you. And we will see how well uh, your minds have been massaged. (laughs) That's the thing I said at the beginning, in case you forgot. Um, And we're just going to take a few minutes, just just about about five or ten minutes. And they're going to sing what they hear the Holy Spirit saying over you. And I want you just to stay quiet for a moment and I want you to listen for what the Holy Spirit's saying to you because this this discovery is impossible apart from the grace of God. But the entire message of the gospel is that Jesus died so that we may be invited in to the fullness of the plan that God has for us because we had a world ruled by the law before we saw what one piece of God's intention looked like on the earth. I believe that's one of the main purposes of the Old Testament. And the entire Bible is the story of how God's intention from the beginning to now has always been the same. To have an intimate relationship with his kids where, where, we, can be tru- where we can truly receive everything that he has for us. So again, we're just gonna take a few minutes here And I'm going to read the scripture over you. And then these wonderful folks are just going to just sing what they hear the Holy Spirit saying. And if you would, just just for this part, if you don't mind, I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to listen. And just for a moment, I want you to exercise your mind to no longer think of the, the, the philosophy, the belief of love 
as something along the spectrum of acceptance and law, of some balance of these two things. Instead, I want you to set those expectations aside and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is love. So if you will, just close your eyes and I'll read this over you. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Right now, as we just take these few minutes to invite your presence, we ask that you introduce us to a love that requires everything, that is unconditional, that keeps no record of wrongs, but takes no joy in evil and delights in the truth. A love that when it's broken into pieces looks incompatible, looks like it's at war with itself. But a love when presented through a perfect father could not exist in any other way than to include everything that it's called to be. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.